Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's episode 54 of Law for Virginia Law Enforcement Officers. We're, doing, we're talking about law. What do you need to know as a law enforcement officer in Virginia? Constitutional law, new cases, new statutes in order to better strengthen and serve your communities. And this week, we have a really interesting case from the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. It's a case called Walker versus Donahoe. And it's a case that concerns what can you do when you're out in public and you see somebody with a firearm, in this case a rifle, who looks like they're about to do something really bad. Uh, can you stop them? Can you detain them? Can you run criminal history on them? And so on. Uh, and this case in the Fourth Circuit uh, also relates to a case that was decided in Virginia a bunch of years ago. So we're going to talk about this law. You know, what do you do? We're both uh, Virginia and the case where this comes from, West Virginia. Uh, we're both open carry states. We both allow people to lawfully possess firearms, to carry firearms. And yet sometimes you will come across somebody and you'll think this person is about to do something really bad. Does the law require you to just look the other way and wait till they start shooting? Uh, or can you intervene? Uh, because when you intervene, and like this case, Walker versus Otten, this guy wasn't planning to do anything bad. Um, but you know, you may end up, and let's face it, you may end up uh, detaining somebody who's innocent. But if the alternative is just sit around and wait until they start shooting, uh, that's not really a viable alternative. And it wasn't for the officers in this case. But because they were so concerned for the safety of a school, this guy was walking up to a school with a, uh, with a apparently lo with what appeared to be a loaded AR-15 rifle. Uh, you know, they weren't willing to sit there and wait till children started dying before they stopped and said, "Hey, hey, man, what are you up to?" For a second, they only detained this guy briefly, but it ended up in a lawsuit. And I want to talk about how the Fourth Circuit dealt with it. So let's start out by talking about uh, the background of this case, what happened in this case, and then what the problem is. And then I want to talk about the law that's led up to this and then how the Fourth Circuit dealt with this situation, because it's a really interesting case. Uh, basically, the facts of this case are, uh, this is, and it's important to understand, all this happened a week after the Parkland, Florida school shooting. So uh, there had just been this horrible, tragic uh, murder at this Parkland school involving an individual who went into a school, killed a lot of children. And a week later, a citizen sees the defendant in this case, who's a young man walking down the road uh, on foot, dressed in a black sleeveless shirt and camouflage pants in a suburban neighborhood. And he's walking with about a, in about a mile, he's about a mile away from a local school. He's walking in the direction of the local school and he's carrying an AR-15 style rifle. Uh, the rifle appears to be loaded. Uh, and so the citizen calls 911 and says, hey, will you come out and take a look at this guy? He's walking towards a school with a rifle. And again, Parkland was just a week ago. Will you check it out? So these two officers, they respond to the scene. And when they respond, they both of them look at the defendant and think, you know, that guy looks like a, a child. He looks like a juvenile. He looks like somebody who's under 18. And uh, as it turns out, this guy's appearance is very youthful. He's often mistaken for somebody who's under 18. He's not. He's an adult, and he's lawfully possessing this firearm, but the officers believe he might be He might be under 18. So in any event, they walk over. They detain him. Uh, they run his criminal history. They get his ID and so on. It turns out he's lawfully carrying the firearm. He's lawfully possessing the firearm, and they release the defendant. The entire encounter only lasts uh, about nine minutes. 
Now, the defendant in this case, excuse me, the defendant, the plaintiff in this case, because this is a civil lawsuit, ends up suing the law enforcement officers under federal law for deprivation of his civil rights, for that detention, right? And so he sues under 42 U.S.C. 1983, uh, which we talked about in this podcast before. It's the code section that allows you to sue law enforcement officers for deprivation of civil rights. Here he says, these officers unlawfully detained me in the Fourth Amendment. They didn't have reasonable, articulable suspicion to detain me, ask me for ID, and so on, uh, because I was just walking down the street, uh, out in public, carrying a firearm, which I'm lawfully permitted to do, and so they uh, abused my civil rights. The case goes to the district court, and the district court, in this case, dismisses the case. Uh, the court dismisses the case. The court thinks there was reasonable suspicion. But in addition, the court says, but even if there wasn't reasonable suspicion, here the officers are protected by qualified immunity because it's not clear whether or not there is reasonable suspicion, right? In other words, it's debatable. Maybe it was reasonable suspicion, maybe it wasn't reasonable suspicion. And under those circumstances, right, as we know from our conversations about qualified immunity before, where officers are making a judgment call just because the court might disagree, if it's not clear that the, that the stop was unlawful, uh, then the case gets dismissed dismissed on qualified immunity grounds. So the case then goes to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. So I want to stop for a second and talk about the law regarding uh, stops of people who are lawfully carrying firearms. Uh, in the Fourth Circuit, the most relevant case uh, on this issue is a case uh, called U.S. versus Black. And U.S. versus Black was a case that came out of North Carolina. It's a case back in 2013, and it's a case where Mr. Black was unlawfully carrying a concealed firearm. But the officer's attention wasn't drawn to Mr. Black originally. Mr. Uh, the, the officer's attention was drawn to another guy in that group, and his name was Troop. So the officers, they're in Charlotte, North Carolina, where, again, it's lawful to carry firearms openly, uh, and you don't need to have a special permit or anything like that. The officers encounter this group of men, and this guy, Troop, is openly carrying a firearm. Because he is openly carrying a firearm, the officers stop Troop, they stop the group, they investigate, they pat everybody in the group down, and when they do so, they find Mr. Black has got this firearm. That Mr. Black turns out to be uh, a convicted felon, and he's convicted in federal court. The case is appealed to the Fourth Circuit, and the, the Fourth Circuit says, well, there's no lawful basis to stop these people. There was no lawful basis to stop Mr. Troop uh, because here he's lawfully in, he's apparently lawfully in possession of a gun. There's no reason to think he's not lawfully in possession of it. Um, you can't just stop somebody who has a gun and run their criminal history. And so the rule the court comes up with is where a state permits individuals to openly carry firearms, the exercise of that right without more can't justify an investigatory detention, right? You're not permitted to uh, stop somebody just because you're openly carrying a firearm in, the, in, a, in, the, in public, right? And that rule in North, that's a case in North Carolina, but that's the rule in Virginia as well. Uh, and in fact, not only in Virginia, if somebody's openly carrying a firearm, would it be uh, would be that not be a basis for a subject stop? But in fact, just last year, we had a case come out of the Court of Appeals called Commonwealth versus Johnson, where officers walk up to a guy just to speak to him. And now again, they can walk up and speak to anybody they want to in public. But when they walk up to Mr. Johnson in public, they notice that he's got an L-shaped bulge in his waistband. And the L-shaped bulge appears to be a concealed firearm. 
So the officers at this point frisk the defendant. They just grab his shirt. They lift it up. It shows the firearm. They seize the firearm. They detain the defendant, and they learn that he's a convicted felon. Now, of course, in Virginia, uh, openly carrying the firearm would be lawful, but carrying it concealed required the uh, required Mr. Uh, Johnson to have a concealed carry permit. But in this case, in Commonwealth versus Johnson, which is the 2020 case from the Virginia Court of Appeals, the court here says an individual's choice to exercise their fundamental right to bear arms cannot, standing alone, serve as the basis for reasonable suspicion or probable cause that in doing so somebody's committing a crime. They do not presume that an individual carrying a concealed firearm must be in violation of the law when they do so. And so consequently, the court here rules that officers may not seize and search an individual based solely on the presence of what appears to be a concealed firearm without first establishing that it's concealed in violation of the law. And so the rule that comes out of Johnson is that the mere presence of a bulge that is consistent with the concealed carry of a firearm without anything else doesn't create probable cause that a crime is being committed. So again, Mr. Johnson walking down the street appears to be carrying a concealed firearm. So what, right? Uh, there's no evidence that he's carrying the firearm unlawfully, and therefore the officers didn't have a lawful basis to stop him. Now, of course, if he was somewhere where he couldn't lawfully carry a firearm, like school property uh, or um, you know one of the many places in Virginia now that are Commonwealth properties where you can't, you know, Capitol Square, uh, DMV, um, you know, uh, Virginia Department of Health, those kinds of Commonwealth properties where you can't lawfully possess a firearm, uh, there you could, I think, you certainly could uh, detain that person briefly uh, on reasonable suspicion they're, commit they're carrying the firearm unlawfully. Now, there's certainly people who can nevertheless lawfully carry firearms on Commonwealth properties and at schools and so on, uh, but those are all def defenses. Those are all exceptions to the statute. So if you, again, you saw him on a school property or Commonwealth property or something like that, yeah, sure, you could uh, stop that person re reasonably under reasonable suspicion and pat them down. But Mr. Johnson was just walking down a public street. Uh, if he were openly carrying a firearm, you couldn't stop him. Yeah. And if he's concealed carrying a firearm, uh, you don't get to stop him just assuming he doesn't have a concealed carry permit. So that's where Virginia falls on this. And again, that's where the Fourth Circuit falls on this as well from the case of uh, the Commonwealth versus U.S. versus Black that case out of North Carolina, right? Somebody openly carrying a firearm, it's not a lawful basis to stop somebody. So now let's take us back to this lawsuit against uh, law enforcement officers in Walker versus Donahoe. Uh, here, the district court had dismissed the case. They had dismissed it finding there was reasonable suspicion to detain uh, the um, plaintiff in this particular case, Mr. Walker. Uh, but even if there wasn't reasonable suspicion, they dismiss it on uh, qualified immunity grounds. So uh, how does the Fourth Circuit look at this case in light of the rules that we've just talked about? Well, interestingly, the court here also agrees that there was reasonable suspicion to stop Mr. Walker, right? Uh, the court here cautions that just because uh, openly carrying a firearm alone, standing alone, isn't reasonable suspicion to stop somebody. It doesn't mean that the act of openly carrying a firearm can never lead to reasonable suspicion. Instead, the possession of the firearm plus something else may 
justify investigatory detentions, right? Uh, your lawful conduct can contribute to reasonable suspicion, right? And that's a pretty straightforward rule, right? Um, you know, if somebody's walking down the street carrying a baseball bat, uh, it doesn't mean that you have to ignore that because it's lawful to have a baseball bat, right? If they're walking down the street holding a baseball bat um, and, you know, they're, you know, walking towards somebody and saying, I'm going to F you up or something like that, the baseball bat's an important uh, factor in deciding whether or not you're going to stop that person. Um, if you, for example, are doing a traffic stop and you have people in the car who are holding baseball bats, you're going to get them out of the car and you're going to pat them down, right? It's lawful to possess a baseball bat, but, um, but that's unusual, right? Especially if they're all, you know, one guy's carrying a metal bat and one guy's carrying a wooden bat and the different bats are different sizes and none of them are apparently playing baseball and it's two o'clock in the morning, right? And one guy's got a golf club, you know, you know that something bad's about to happen, right? So you're going to get them out of the car. Um, and so... Uh, in this case, the court, you know, looks at it the same way. They say, you know, carrying the firearm can contribute to reasonable suspicion. It just can't be the only basis for the stop. And in this case, with the defendant walking on the street wearing uh, military garb a week after the Parkland shooting, uh, walking towards a school uh, carrying this AR-15, which was the which is the weapon that was used in the Parkland shooting, and he's just a mile away and he's walking in the direction of the school, uh, the court finds that the circumstances of Mr. Walker's firearm possession were unusual and alarming enough to engender reasonable suspicion, right? And again, reasonable suspicion is a very low standard here. Uh, and we accept that if we're going to stop people based on reasonable suspicion, we're going to stop people who, uh, in fact, are not guilty of any crime at all, but we're just doing a brief detention in order to confirm or dispel our suspicion of criminal activity. Uh, the court thinks it's important here that it's an AR-15 rifle. Um, they, the court here noticed, uh, and the officers had testified that such rifles had been the weapon of choice for many mass shootings, um, including many recent um, school shootings. Uh, the school, the, the Parkland shooting had involved an AR-15 rifle. Um, so here again, a week later, he's got the same rifle and he's dressed like a soldier. He's walking towards this school. Uh, he's within a mile of the school. And the court, by the way, it's interesting. The court says, and he's walking instead of driving. And they thought that was really interesting as well. They thought not only did that um, back up the idea that he, maybe he was a minor, but they said, well, if he's a, not only that, but it also, if he's walking, uh, le could lead someone to believe that he's a student at that school, which again, if he's walking, carrying military gear and a, or wearing military gear and carrying an AR-15 rifle and he's walking towards a school and he appears to be somebody who could be a student at that school, again, that's feeding into our reasonable suspicion that maybe he's going to the school to do somebody some harm. Um, one interesting feature of this case, you might remember when I described the facts, I told you that the reason the officers said that they stopped Mr. Walker was they thought that he was, in fact, a minor, somebody who's under 18 and couldn't lawfully possess this rifle. Uh, here, the court says, you know, the real reasonable suspicion that we're concerned about here is that he was going to go shoot up this school. And you know, the, the plaintiff here says, well, if that's the issue, the officers never said that. The officers never said when they stopped me, the officers never wrote in their reports that they had reasonable suspicion to believe that I was going to shoot up my school. So that wasn't the reason for the stop. So because that wasn't the reason for the stop, therefore, my lawsuit should be able to go forward. That's not a legitimate argument to make. But the Fourth Circuit rejects that. They say, no, remember, we always, especially in these civil lawsuits, but in really any Fourth Amendment context, we look at reasonable suspicion as an objective test. 
that is based upon the facts that are within the knowledge of the officer and not the officer's subjective beliefs and subjective motivation. So in this case, just because the officers themselves didn't fully articulate, well, it was a, you know, Parkland shooting was a week before and he's wearing military garb and he's walking towards a school and he's a mile away and he appears to be a minor, which means that he might be somebody who uh, would be attending the school and attending to do the school harm. Uh, they don't articulate all that in their reports, but the court says it doesn't matter. We objectively look at, based on the facts that are available to the officer, would a reasonable officer have reasonable, articulable suspicion to stop Mr. Walker in this case? And the court says, absolutely. Uh, there was ample evidence demonstrating reasonable suspicion to uh, to stop the, the plaintiff in this case. Um, and so this is a panel. This was a panel opinion. This is three judges. Uh, two judges voted this way. One judge wrote a concurring opinion. That's Judge Richardson. And it's interesting. In Judge Richardson's opinion, he just says, you know, I never really would get to the whole reasonable suspicion issue. For me, this is clearly just a qualified immunity case, and the case should be dismissed on qualified immunity, right? Which is to say, it's not clear one way or the other uh, that the officer's actions were unlawful. And if it's not clear that the actions, the officer's actions were unlawful, then why do we get to the whole debate? Why don't we just dismiss this case on qualified immunity? Officers can only be found liable if they're doing something that is, um, that is clearly incorrect or clearly in violation of the law. So that's Judge Richardson's view. And he just writes it in, you know, in a one line sentence. And he says, I would have dismissed this case on qualified immunity. Um, but it is interesting that the two other justices say, you know, we're not going to get to that because for this, for us, it's obvious in this case that the officers, in fact, had reasonable suspicion. And, you know, you can read different things into why judges decide cases the way that they do. But I think this is an excellent case for the Fourth Circuit to lay out uh, that even though they had ruled in United States versus Black that you can't just stop somebody for walking to the street openly carrying a firearm, that doesn't mean that you that openly carrying a firearm can't provide the basis for someone to be stopped if there are other facts. Um, and so uh, that brings us to Virginia, right? Now, you know, we've talked about this before, Fourth Circuit cases like this are not controlling in Virginia. They give us guidance about what the rules are in Virginia. But a Virginia court could rule otherwise. And in fact, there's several instances where Virginia courts have said, you know, the Fourth Circuit says this, but we don't really agree with the Fourth Circuit. So we're going to go in a different direction. Uh, the Fourth Circuit's opinions are informative and helpful and give us guidance, but they don't necessarily tell us what the courts are going to do in Virginia uh, in the same situation. Now, helpfully, of course, if you get sued in federal court for deprivation of civil rights, you have this case to, to fall back on. But what about in a criminal case where you stop somebody in Virginia uh, for a similar situation? What would a Virginia court rule? And as it turns out, we have a very similar case here in Virginia, and it's a case called Auten versus Commonwealth, and it's a case from about 10 years ago in Portsmouth. And this case, you're going to see, again, very similar kind of case. Um, it's a case where there's a detective one day, um, he's in Portsmouth, and about 10 o'clock at night, two women run up to him. They're very excited, they're very agitated, and they said, hey, there's a guy walking down the street towards a church, and he's got a gun. Now, they're, they are really insistent to the detective that, like, please, 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 you've got to come down the street, you've got to go look at this guy and see this guy walking down the street with a gun. Now, again, a guy walking down the street with a gun is not in and of itself a crime. 
uh, if you saw as an officer a guy walking down the street with a gun, that would not standing by itself be reasonable suspicion of a crime. It's not in the Fourth Circuit. It's not in Virginia. We've already talked about from the Johnson case from last year, uh, just somebody choosing to exercise their right to bear arms, their right to carry a firearm, whether concealed or unconcealed in Virginia, isn't in and of itself a basis to stop somebody. But here the detective says, okay, well, if you want me to look, I'll go look. So he goes and he sees Mr. Otten, and Mr. Otten has a rifle, and he's heading towards uh, an intersection uh, near a church. So the detective calls dispatch, and when he calls into dispatch, dispatch responds, yeah, we know about the guy with a gun. Somebody else has already called in uh, to let us know and is concerned about this guy with the gun. So he looks at Otten. He's, he walks towards Otten, and he can see that Otten is staggering back and forth across the street. Uh, he's very unsteady on his feet. He can't walk in a straight line. And the way that he's holding a rifle, the rifle, it's not just that he's carrying a rifle. It's not just that he's just slung over his back. Um, Otten is holding the rifle across his body. He's got one hand on the buttstock of the rifle and one hand on the forearm of the rifle. And uh, in other words, he's got the rifle in a low ready position. The detective describes it as an aggressive position. Um, the detective himself um, had had uh, fought in the Middle East and had, had fought um, in one of the um, military campaigns in the Middle East. So he was trained. He's looking at this going, this guy is holding this rifle aggressively in a low ready position. And again, he's walking towards this church. There's people walking out of the church at the time. Um, at this point, again, we're pausing to say it's lawful to carry a firearm in Virginia, but the, but the fact that you're carrying a firearm plus other facts can still give us reasonable suspicion. And here the court writes, it does not necessarily follow just because you have a right to bear arms that bearing a weapon in a ready-to-use position uh, can't be cr properly the component of reasonable suspicion, especially here in this case when it was combined with impaired intoxication. So here the officer stops Mr. Otten and the court says it was absolutely reasonable for him to do so in light of his training and experience in order to dispel his suspicion that Mr. Otten was either intoxicated or about to commit some kind of terrible crime with the firearm and therefore briefly detaining him in order to confirm or dispel his suspicion of criminal activity in this case was proper under the Fourth Amendment. And here in this case, uh, the defendant um, who turned out to be a convicted felon, um, also complained not just of the stop, but also complained that the officer stopped him uh, in an improper way. Because you can imagine how the officer and the detective in this case stopped Mr. Otten. It wasn't, you know, excuse me, sir, I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm Detective Henderson with the Prince Portsmouth Police Department. I'm just concerned about, you know, some behavior in the area. Do you mind if we talk for a second? Right. I mean, obviously, that's not how Office Detective Henderson stopped Mr. Otten, right? He's drawing his weapon. He's calling out. He says, you know, drop the rifle, drop the rifle, get on the ground, get on the ground, drop the gun, drop the gun, right? And then as soon as uh, the guy drops the gun, what does the detective do? He runs over and he puts the gun in handcuffs, right? Um, now, this is an investigative detention, but in this case, Houghton, Houghton, excuse me, uh, complains. He says, you know, this the officer, his level of force that he was using here wasn't consistent with the investigative detention. It wasn't uh, consistent with a Terry stop. This was like an arrest, right? Because he's pointing his gun at me. He's ordering me on the ground. He's putting me in handcuffs. Uh, and that requires more than reasonable suspicion. That requires probable cause. But the court is not having any of that. They reject that argument outright. 
Uh, here they say, sure, the officer walked out with his weapon drawn, he orders the guy to drop his rifle, he orders Mr. Otten to get on the ground, he puts Mr. Otten in handcuffs, but in this case, that is still an investigative detention in the eyes of the court. Um, even though Otten complies and he drops the rifle immediately as, as the detective is approaching him, um, here in this case the court says well that doesn't mean he doesn't have any other weapons right the fact that he's got one rifle is a good indication that he's going to ha maybe have some other weapon as well and so he can't know at that point whether or not his safety or the safety of other individuals uh, at the nearby church uh, were still at risk right uh, and so again you know the court says uh, and the court quotes a case called Thomas, although we recognize that police procedures during a Terry stop can be intrusive and may in fact sometimes rise to a very high level of detention, um, in evaluating whether an investigative detention is unreasonable, you use common sense and ordinary experience, and while investigative methods employed should be the least intrusive means reasonably available, available uh, with the, with the mission here of uh, confirming or dispelling your suspicion, the scope of the intrusion permitted is going to vary with each case. And in this case, with a guy who's maybe intoxicated or maybe bent on ill will, who's carrying a rifle at a low-ready position to a church uh, and walking up to a church, that it's going to be a pretty high level of detention, right? So using guns, uh, using orders to get on the ground, using handcuffs uh, does not convert that stop and frisk, that lawful detention, into an arrest. It doesn't mean that it requires probable cause. Here, the officer is using steps that were reasonably necessary to protect his and other people's safety and maintain the status quo, uh, and so that it was proper. So the court here says, given the time of night and the manner where he's holding a rifle, it was not unreasonable for him to order him to the ground, to handcuff him briefly, uh, and for the protection of both the police and the public. Um, the it was the court was not going to require probable cause just because he put because the detective put Mr. Otten in handcuffs. Um, this was the minimally intrusive method to secure the situation. So what does that mean? You know, what do you take away from these cases? Because again, I think the courts come out very similar ways, ten years apart, uh, in both Otten and also in Walker. Uh, we know that both of these courts are courts that have previously held that somebody lawfully carrying a firearm, that in and of itself is not a basis to stop somebody, right? Both courts had ruled this way. But at the same time, both, both courts had ruled that somebody carrying a firearm in a situation where uh, it would be reasonable to suspect, oh, this person's about to do something really bad. They're about to, you know, shoot up a church or shoot up a school based on all the totality of the circumstances. Uh, that is a reasonable basis to stop somebody. And so for you as a law enforcement officer, uh, again, just because people openly carry firearms and can, can openly carry firearms, people can lawfully carry concealed firearms in Virginia, doesn't mean that that's never a basis to investigate. And my guess is that this is how you conduct yourselves probably anyway. You've all lived in a, in a commonwealth for many years and been law enforcement officers for many years in a place where you're going to see a lot of people carrying firearms. Um, and yet sometimes there's something that just doesn't seem right. It's going to draw public attention. People are going to call in and notice. I think it's interesting that in both Walker and in Auten, 
that these weren't officers who on themselves made this judgment. Uh, citizens reached out to them and said, we are concerned, right? Uh, and in Virginia, you know, brandishing a, a firearm, uh, displaying a firearm in a way that would reasonably cause fear in the mind of another, right, is a criminal offense in Virginia. And so in both of these instances, you had somebody who I think you at least have reasonable suspicion to think are, are carrying a firearm, displaying a firearm in a way that would reasonably cause fear in the mind of another because they actually did cause fear in the mind of another. Somebody ran in, standing, ran up to the officers and said, oh my God, there's a guy over there with a gun and I'm afraid he's about to do something really bad. And so, you know, what is it that causes that? Well, it could be a lot of different things, but I think if the citizens are bringing this to you, that's a real indication. And again, you kind of have to use your instinct. You have to use your gut. Um, you may make that judgment call. And I hope that when you make those judgment calls, uh, I hope that, you know, honestly, it does end up being innocent, right? I, not because I want to have innocent people be stopped, because, you know, I don't want you in a situation where you're in an armed confrontation with somebody who uh, is intending to kill a lot of people indiscriminately for no reason, right? Because those confrontations end badly. I hope it's just a misunderstanding and everyone goes home safe. And I hope it doesn't end in a lawsuit. But uh, I think here from the Fourth Circuit, you can see that the court is going to look at your actions uh, with a great deal of sympathy uh, and hope that you, you know, again, you know, congratulate you for keeping the public safe and doing your job. So interesting cases, uh, interesting new case from the Fourth Circuit, uh, but uh, hopefully it was helpful for you. I hope the podcast was interesting. If you like this podcast, please tell your friends. We're on SoundCloud. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. If you want me to be on something else, let me know. I'll try to get on something else. If you don't like the podcast, don't tell your friends. Uh, but uh, I hope this was useful for you, and we're going to keep giving you new updates about new cases, new law. But for today, that's all from me. That's all from Big E. Stay safe and don't get captured.